I recommend this to anybody who decides to leave corporate and go out on their own. And that is you should have at least a year of living expenses banked before you do it. Or at least six months if you've already been laying the groundwork, building the brand, the website, the messaging, the content before you put in your notice. And that is probably the best way to do it because you to moonlight and start building your brand as you are working for the man. Um, because Welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, we are so excited to have Philip Van Dusen on the show. Philip, this is going to be a little bit of a different show because we're going to be talking about personal branding for real estate agents and investors, something that I am crazy excited to be talking about because it is not in my wheelhouse. But today, Philip Van Dusen, who's the owner of Verhow Brand Design, a brand strategy and design agency serving small and medium businesses and entrepreneurs. Philip previously served as the VP of Design at PepsiCo, Old Navy, and Executive Creative Director at Lander Associates. As a thought leader, Philip shares his expertise in brand building on YouTube to his over 266,000 subscribers in his Brand Muse newsletter and on the Brand Design Matters Masters podcast. So Philip, thank you so much for coming on. Obviously, you know, my interest today is in helping myself develop a much greater sense of personal brand, something that's not natural to me, and also to distribute that information to other real estate agents and investors who could benefit from that. So thank you for joining us. Take us in to what is the main mistake that you see people in general that like solo entrepreneurs, real estate agents making in their branding? Well, first of all, Matt, thanks for having me on the show. Really appreciate it. And I have to silence notifications here so things don't go binging. Okay. <laughs> right. And um, yeah, so my brother's actually was a real estate agent for like 20 years. So I have a little bit of knowledge in terms of what that world is like and how it's evolved really over the last, uh, you know, 20 years or so. And which has been in significant in the digital age as real estate sales have gotten more and more digital and more and more, uh, you know, app and online um, AI based and less human, you know, kind of connection relationship based. And so um, I think that real estate agents have a particular challenge in the fact that they are having to surmount a movement in their industry from individual relationships and referrals to having to combat these you know, app sites like Zillow and, you know, Trulia, which is, are completely self-serve for people to find their own property and do their own thing without ever having to connect with a human being. And so uh, both from a real estate and, and a individual, uh, you know, real estate salesperson standpoint, the, the, the need to develop some sort of visible personality in a digital space where you can be found and you can build an audience and develop a level of credibility and visibility is paramount, right? That's the real goal is you have to kind of show up as a human being and display your, uh, your knowledge and your expertise so that people build a level of trust in you. And so, people like to do business with people that they know, like, and trust. Mm -hmm. 
And people trust people more than they trust brands. So the more you can develop that, you know, individual human presence online and establish that level of uh, expertise in a credible way and build an audience of people who are following you and paying attention to you, that's kind of the gold standard of what personal brand means to your particular audience. So let's talk about personality and, and who we are. I mean, when I talk to people about things like your avatar, your target client and, and your personality, they say, well, Matt, first of all, you should be who you are. I, that like the more I think about that question over the years, like that's a hard question to answer. Who am I? Like, I feel like there's different sides to me. Like there's a side that's very driven and ambitious. And then there's a side that's like really sarcastic and sometimes like crosses the line, you know, in, in the jokes that I make. And so it's like, as I'm thinking about who I am, what parts of who I am should I be pulling out into the surface when I'm, when I'm creating a personal brand? Yeah. So that, that different, one of the one of the axioms we use all the time in branding is different is better than better. And that is that you don't necessarily have to be better as a service or product provider. You just have to be recognizably different. And that really is important in personal branding because having your own voice or being recognizable or rememberable, you know, mem memorable in some sort of way um, is what the gold standard is and the goal is of any kind of personal branding, right? You want to be memorable. And so showing up with a level of amped personality, whether that be, um, you know, totally buttoned up and formal and, and conservative and, uh, or, you know, very loose and humanistic and, you know, a little, you know, as you said, uh, you know, kind of rough around the edges, right? All of those things are good no matter how you slice it, because being different and showing up is going to help people remember you. Now, what you said about your customer avatar is very key though, because you want to make sure that your personal personality that you are exhibiting is aligning to the needs and the trust level of your target, right? So let's say you're a real estate person who's selling to trust fund people or, or hedge fund managers in Manhattan, right? And they're buying $10 million condos, right? You don't want to come off as like the baseball cap wearing, you know, t-shirt, <laughs> black t-shirt, yeah, black t-shirt guy who, you know, is, is like jamming to like Metallica <laughs> in his, in his, you know, kind of Tesla, right? you want to and and show up at the showing with that kind of you know kind of over about you right you want to make sure that your brand how you are showing up literally in your 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 fashion your glasses your haircut um and uh is aligning with your customer avatars expectations of the sort of person that they want to do business with now on the other hand if you're selling you know uh are, you know, vacation condos in Florida that are at a, that a, are at a, you know, a, a, a manageable price point for millennials or Gen, you know, kind of Gen X or Gen Y people, then showing up in that kind of more, uh, you know, uh, kind of approachable human, you know, one of the guys sort of way may, might, might make sense, 
right? So you just have to think about who your avatar is, what the price point is that they're buying at, where they hang out, what they do, the sort of business people that they would be wanting to associate with. And you want to start to model that because you've got to appear to be the sort of people that they want to do business with, if that makes sense. Yeah. And so, so basically like if I'm the type of guy that likes to work t-shirts and hats, which I do, then I'm communicating a message of essentially like relaxed, you know, and maybe a variety of other messages. So I just need to find the clients within my industry that like that persona, not the people that are looking for someone to be super, super like sharp and numbers oriented or this, that, or the other thing. Yeah, you, you have to, and, and it's kind of chicken before the egg, right? So if you were saying, Hey, I am only selling high-end properties in Manhattan, right? Then you have to adopt the persona and the, the put on the suit of the person that is your, is your target avatar is going to want to do business with. Or you can say, look, I'm going to be who I am. I'm going to wear the baseball cap and the t-shirt, and I'm going to listen to Metallica and my Tesla. Then what sort of customer avatar is that going to be cool with? Is that going to be cool with like music executives and rock stars and influencers who are making, you know, $5 million a year and can buy that sort of a property? Then, hey, that maybe that's my customer avatar within my price point, right? So you have to kind of make sure that you're aligning both the price point of the property or the product or service that you're selling, your customer avatar, and then who you show up as um, to do that. Now you might find that that the 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 avatar who is buying ten million dollar condos in Manhattan, there aren't that many rock stars or or influencers who fall into that category. So you also have to kind of like weigh, okay, how many people in this niche are there? And can I can the way I show up, can I attract as many people of those that I need and sell as many properties as I need to to them? in order to have a viable business model, right? Love it. And you said earlier, different is better than better. Yeah. And so like, I have these thoughts when I think about personal branding, like, so for you wearing very, very bright colored glasses. Yeah. When you say different, are, are you saying, let, put some design elements on your body that are not as common, you know, amongst, because black t-shirts and hats, it's not a fairly uncommon thing. So right. what are ways that you see people doing different that's really powerful? Well, yeah, personal uh, style branding is what I like to call it is is one of the in a in a people to people business is a one of those ways where you can become memorable very easily, right? So people go, "Oh yeah, it's the guy with the green glasses." Or, "Yeah, it's the guy with the handlebar mustache." Or, "Yeah, it's that it's that agent who drives the, you know, it used to be like, okay, Mary Kay Cosmetics, right? Mary Kay Cosmetics was a um you know, to a certain extent, you know, um, it, it was a membership based cosmetic sales network, right. That you joined. And if you made it to a certain sales level in Mary Kay cosmetics, Cadillac. you got, you got a pink Cadillac, right? Yeah. So if you see some lady driving around a pink Cadillac, it's like, 
okay, yeah. So it's the it's the person who drives the pink Cadillac, right? <laughs> it's a remarkable thing, and it's a memorable thing. And so, if you can establish some sort of personal branding element, could be the car you drive, could be your tone of voice, as you said, could be particular hat you wear, the glasses styles you have, or you know how you wear your hair, whether you always wear, you know, Donald Trump always wears a red tie, right? Or half the Republicans in the world wear a red tie, <laughs> right? Right. So. So, you know, is there a way that you can establish a personal branding element that makes you memorable and, and within, you know, within the realistic, you know, uh, genre of who your customer avatar is and where you show up? So that's one piece of it. The other is that you want to figure out where your customer avatar hangs out. Now, that could be a physical hangout, could be, you know, the country club for the, you know, for the hedge fund guys. It could be the rock club for the influencers. Um, it could be, you know, is, is your target audience Gen X folks who are on Facebook? Is it, you know, younger people who are hanging out on Instagram? Where is the digital hangout where your people are showing up? Are they on LinkedIn? Where are people who are looking, are there Facebook groups on um, you know, groups on Facebook where it are is people who are looking for a particular kind of property or generally interested in real estate investment, right? Or purchasing rather than, you know, um, rather than the end user. And starting to understand where they hang out and then showing up there and providing value to people for free so you can start to gather eyeballs on yourself and your and your capabilities and your knowledge and the 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 value you're bringing to the table for people which is what's going to start to establish you as visible and valuable in a in a personal brand sort of way so what you're saying obviously has a lot of power you mentioned that in a lot of your videos you're even referencing that here when somebody's going about like I grew up in a very conservative background, which is like, you know, the idea is you don't talk about yourself. You don't talk about your accomplishments. I've learned through sales that that's not always the best. Yeah, get over that. Get over that, right? <laughs> like right now. Right now, right? <laughs> so can you talk us through like the elements of what you say, like, and how that affects your brand and how often should you be touting your accomplishments to, to, to give the credibility message to your audience or to your avatar? Uh, yeah. I mean, you, that is to a certain extent, any, any brand, any company shares their portfolio of experience, their, their success stories, right? The transformations that they have made possible for people. People who uh, offer digital courses do that, right? They You're selling a digital course and someone goes to your website and it's the sales page and you scroll down and it tells you what's in the course. And then suddenly, oh, there's like five videos from people and quotes and testimonials of people who took the course, transformed their business. Their life is now fantastic, right? And you're going, wow, I want my life to be fantastic too. I'm going to take the course. That is the sort of story, sales story that, you need to tell because people have to understand what is the transformation that you're going to make possible for them? Where are they now? So you have to be able to, it's kind of like a, if you think about it in terms of a sales journey, right? You think of a website, you go to a website because you want to solve a particular problem. When it comes to website communication, you want to go on the site, you want to immediately read 
a, a, a description of the problem that you have, right? So you want to state the problem that the people have. You want to, so they can identify with it and they go, oh, great. I'm on the right site. This guy understands my problem. And then you have to state what the solution is. The solution to your problem looks like this. And then I am the person to solve it because I can do that thing. And I also do it better and different than all these other people. That's the basic uh, kind of uh, sales process you want to use on a personal brand site or in any business. Basically, you want to be able to say, here's the problem that you have. This is what the solution looks like. This is what that transformation looks like. And oh, by the way, I happen to be an expert in that thing. And oh, by the way, these are all these other people who I've created that transformation for. This is their name. This is a quote from them. This is a picture of their fabulous lifestyle. Wow, wouldn't you want that to happen for you? And it's like a foregone conclusion that they're going to fill out your contact form or give you a call and say, uh, hell yeah, I want that thing to happen for me too. So it's really incumbent upon you as a brand to figure out what that is for your particular customer. What is the problem that they have? What is the functional problem? Meaning what is the actual thing that they want changed? What is the emotional problem? So how do they feel about the thing that they need and how will they feel when that problem is solved for them? right? You want to kind of codify that for yourself in your particular market or what you're selling or what you're buying as a real estate person. And then you want to start to kind of create that picture of what success or the transformation looks like, and then think about, okay, how am I going to be solving that? How do I, how do I state my credibility in the ability to solve that problem for people? And then where, where are the examples, where are the success stories, that I, the case studies that I can start to gather and display for people to be able to understand that? Now, I'm talking about websites, right? Because it's an easy thing to get your head around. But you can also do this in terms of your own particular sales message that you're giving to people. Is you have to be able to take them through this journey of problem to solution, right? And how you fit into that as the perfect provider of the solution, right? Love this. And you just gave a beautiful layout of the sales process, the digital response process. You mentioned the word journey. I'm very curious for you to share your journey. You have 266,000 YouTube subscribers. I do. Most of us that are experts in our fields, we weren't born that way. It was a process. And especially once you go online and you're you're expressing your expertise, there's a lot of imposter syndrome that happens. There's a lot of self-doubt. Can you take us through the story of, of your rise to success and what moments of struggle did you have in that journey? Oh boy, we're going to need like a five series podcast for this one. I'll try to keep it succinct. <laughs> But essentially, as before we hit record, I was telling you a little bit of this story. I had a 25 plus year career as a senior executive in both the client side, meaning global corporations, as well as global branding agencies. So I've worked on, you know, big companies and also big agencies working with the Fortune 100, right? Big, big companies, P&G, GE, PepsiCo, right? Down the list. And when I came out of that at, at, at the ripe old mid fifties age, I kind of burned out. I was like, I'm done with this. I'm not sure I even like this anymore. And I walked away and I decided I'm just going to start my own thing. 
And I also don't want to work with the Fortune 100 anymore. I've been there, done that. I want to work with entrepreneurs, startups, medium-sized businesses. So A, I was completely alone on my own. And B, none of my network or history of past clients was going to do me any good in this new world, right? And so I was all, I was all by myself. I didn't have an agency or a company feeding me work and clients anymore. I had no reputation out there in the world. All I had was a three-page black and white website and a LinkedIn profile, and that was it. And so I was walking into a world where I needed to get clients, and I didn't have any idea where I was going to get them. <laughs> and right. so I had to I I had to say, okay, I I'm I'm Oh, I'm naked and alone, right? It's like that show, throw you out in Alaska, yep. naked and alone. That's where I was. I knew branding. I knew marketing. I knew, uh, you know, what made businesses successful and the process to get that way. But I had to create, I had to scale that down and create a process that I could do that with smaller people. I also needed to do that with myself. So I didn't know email marketing. I didn't know content development. I'd, ne I'd been at a very executive level for decades and I hadn't been hands-on in any of this stuff in forever. So I was really disconnected from the entire digital marketing world. And so I had to like say, look, you are a babe in the woods. You have to learn a whole bunch of new stuff from scratch. And so that's what I did. And I basically started, I, I joined a master, a paid mastermind community. What was full of entrepreneurs and, and digital marketing people who were trying to build personal brands for themselves. And I just became a student. Like I just said, what do I know? What can I offer people in this group for free? I can, I can crit their websites. If I could and, stop you there. Yeah, that, yeah. Is, that is so powerful. Because you had a high level of executive position. Yeah. And as you're kind of hinting at, like there's a sense of ego that can creep in if you're not careful because of the position. And you had humbled yourself. You went through the thought process. I need to become a babe in the woods. Yeah. Then you go into this group and you are saying, how can I deliver value for free? How can I learn? Like none of this sounds like, hey, I had arrived at one point and trying to maintain that status. Can you take us a little bit deeper into that and then continue all the story? Yeah. And the imposter syndrome, it's really because I totally identify with the imposter syndrome thing and I've done a lot of content on it because I know it's well, but yeah, I've been carrying around like a multiple six figure salary and a business card that would make, you know, entree into any room very easy. And suddenly I didn't have that, right? I had none of that anymore. And so, but what I did have was, you know, a good, a good portfolio of past clients and a lot of knowledge in what I did. So I went into this mastermind group and I just said, Hey, I'll give you a review of your website for free. I'll tell, I'll talk to you about your logo for free. I'll give you some advice on your, on your marketing for free to make connections with people and to get some early clients. So I did basically some pro, pro bono work with entrepreneurs and, and small to medium sized businesses and gave them a lot of value. And in doing that for free at the beginning, I made a lot of friends. I got a few case studies of some smaller businesses that I helped. And I also, as you said, was kind of humbling myself, but here's, here's where the imposter syndrome creeped in. So I decided I had to like get new clients. Right. And I hate doing any kind of pitching. Like I, I hate, pitching, cold calling, any of that. I'm a deep introvert and it just like made my skin crawl. So I, I heard about this thing called content marketing and it was like, oh, you do, you know, you start a newsletter or you do a blog or you start a podcast or a YouTube channel and you 
give a lot of your knowledge away for free. People recognize it. They see you're an expert and then they come to you for business, right? So I'm like, that's my jam. That's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do a lot of free content and I'm going to attract my client, my client avatar, my customer avatar to me. So I started a new, I started, you know, building an email list. I started a newsletter, published a biweekly newsletter for six months. And then I decided um, I'm going to start a YouTube channel and I'm going to share everything I know for free, all my history of branding and marketing secrets to the world in YouTube. And I'm going to be really quick about delivery. I'm going to like deliver crazy value in a really short period of time. I'm going to tell all the secrets and I'm going to really help people out. And so, and I said, I'm going to do a video a week for a year before I stop because content development's a long game. And if you start it, it's very easy to get disheartened because you're talking to an empty room for the first six months. Right? So I knew I had to make a commitment and I said, I'm going to treat this like a job. If I don't show up and post a video every week, I'm fired and I'm just going to do it. And that's what I did. And it was amazing within like seven months, 80% of the clients that I were getting were coming to me directly from YouTube. And I've done that now for over six years, posting a video every week for six years. And 90% of my clients now come to me directly from YouTube. And I went from, you know, having a hundred subscribers to, as you said, 266,000 at this point. And the, the real cool thing about content marketing, well, here's the other thing and the imposter syndrome piece, Matt, I, I was like, you know, I was a VP of Bebasgo, right? So <laughs> I, I had a lot of credibility, but I, when it came to like doing a video, when I posted my first, you know, five or 10 videos, I was like, no, everyone I know is going to see this. They're going to see that I'm an idiot and that I don't know what I'm talking about. And they're going to look down on me for starting a YouTube channel. And this is beneath you, right? It was like this whole weird ego thing that was like my own perception of who I was in my head and this idea that the world was going to be judging me, right? Like everyone was going to like think I was a jerk or, or, or lame or just like come down on me with, you know, hellfire and brimstone. Right. What happened was nothing. Meaning you yes, post nobody's video, responding. You get crickets for like yes. the first 20 videos. And you get through the nerves and you get through the, you know, kind of like um the the awkwardness of producing content and talking into a camera in an empty room. And no one, the funny thing was, is like within 20 or 50 videos, I started getting emails from old past clients and colleagues and stuff saying, wow, really cool, man. I see you start a YouTube channel. I've always wanted to do that. Or wow, you're really brave for doing that. I'm really enjoying your content. Like I love that video on brand positioning or whatever that you did. And to a, to a person, people were more impressed and interested in what I was doing than judgmental. And that I have found in talking to lots and lots of content creators and, and create and, and professionals who journey into content creation. That is what they get because here's the thing of the hundred percent of people who would benefit from doing content marketing, only 5% of them actually have the balls to start doing it. <laughs> and of those 5% in about, in about six months, another 75% of them are not doing it anymore. So you are in less than the 1% if you can choose to start doing content marketing and you stick with it for more than six months to a year. 
as you are talking to an empty room, because that's the really hard part to get over. And if you can humble yourself to like, here's, here's one of my biggest mantras, right? Dare to be stupid. Like you have to, you have to have guts and dare to be bad because your first 50 videos are going to be bad. You have to accept that your first blog post, your first podcast, you're going to be awkward. They're going to be stupid. They're going to be badly mixed, bad production value. You're not going to know what you're doing. But the thing is, is that when anyone learns anything, they have, you have to be bad at it. I use this analogy all the time. If you want to learn how to play tennis, you can watch a million tennis videos. You can watch great tennis matches on TV. You can buy the coolest tennis clothes. You can buy the greatest tennis racket. But until you get on the court and start hitting balls and having them hit the net and go over the backstop, so you have to go chase and get them, you don't learn how to play tennis. And it's like to do content and to, to bet, to, to, um, to reap the benefits of content marketing, you got to do content and you got to do it for a while and you just got to get out there and start doing it. And that's where the differentiation comes in is like, if you can do that, you've already risen yourself above 95% of the other people in your industry. And number two is the benefits of it are crazy long-term if you can stick with it. Love this. Okay. I have like five questions that are just bulging. So one is personal branding in my mind. I think of like, you know, it doesn't have to be a polished brand, but it's like, it's there. And then the, the, the startup process is so challenging. So it's just like, just do it and be bad. So it's like, how do you balance being bad and putting a bad image out there with the brand? Like when does the brand need to change and become good that sort of thing. Like when should someone start, stop thinking about, I just need to put out content versus I need to put out more quality or I need to be more on brand. That's a, that's a natural progression that happens once you start is that once you start, you'll start with, you know, a crap camera or your writing will be bad, your editing will be bad or something will be, you know, and then as you do more of them, you go, Oh wow, I could get a better light right? Or I could get a better lens or I could get a better microphone for my podcast or, you know, it's, it's a natural progression to start to refine and improve. And so, but you just have to start, you have to start with what you have, where you are right now. Everyone has a phone in their pocket. You have everything you need to start a YouTube channel in your pocket right now. Now, here's the thing about the perfectionism piece that you mentioned and alluded to a little bit, Matt, which is really important. And I just did a video about it that I published yesterday, which is that there is power in imperfection, meaning people identify with people who are human. People don't identify with people who are too polished, who are too unattainable, who are too, you know, on a pedestal. People people respond to people who are like them. People respond to people who are slightly flawed. Everyone wants to see how things are made. People like to see the man behind the curtain, like in The Wizard of Oz, right? So showing a little bit of humanity, a little bit of imperfection, a little bit of like, you know, my shoelaces and tight sort of thing. People go, yeah, I get that. And they are more apt to connect with you if you show a little bit of imperfection than if you try to show up absolutely perfect. And I, I find that that's the case almost to a person that the more perfect you, you try to present yourself, the more forced it looks and the less human you come off as being. 
totally. Now you had a multiple six figure income and this is very tied to our avatar. We want to help successful agents make the transition to investing and then to complete financial freedom, or at least people who are making decent money make that transition. Because you know the statistics of people that hate their jobs in the corporate world, it is wildly high. So you left the corporate world and it didn't sound like it was an immediate that you were cashing these big paychecks. You nope. talk about six or seven months. Can you take us, and I know this might be a personal question, but can you take us into that journey? Like, what does it look like when you're putting out so much work to think of videos, creating videos, posting content, et cetera, and you're month three, six, how are you weathering that financial storm? How are you making this thing work? Yeah, I mean, I'll be really honest with you about that. I had 25 plus years of great paycheck and I banked enough money to be able to, and I, and I recommend this to anybody who decides to leave corporate and go out on their own. And that is you should have at least a year of living expenses banked before you do it. Or at least six months, if you've already been laying the groundwork, building the brand, the website, the messaging, the content before you put in your notice. And that is probably the best way to do it because you to moonlight and start building your brand as you are working for the man. Um, because then when you do finally pull the plug on it, you are going to not be starting from scratch and zero like I was. And so I gave myself, you know, a year's worth of, of padding and I probably needed more than that to be honest with you. Um, but yeah, you, you can't just pull the plug and expect to like in month two to like be pulling down what you were making before. Cause it's just not going to happen. And I wouldn't want to set anybody up for that kind of stress, um, in there and possible disaster living in a van by, down by the river sort right. of thing, <laughs> you know, no one wants that. So, um, yeah, I would say have at least, you know, nine months to a year, uh, kind of laid out for yourself. So if you were, if you were just like, I can't deal with it anymore, can't go in on Monday. If you got that in the bank, then you should probably be okay. But here's the other thing that, and I got, I got, can't stress this more is that you have to humble yourself and you have to say, when I go out on my own, I'm going to realize that I don't know everything. I have to learn an entirely new suite of skills to make it on my own. Cause it is, cause it is not the same. There's a level of entrepreneurial motivation that you have to own and have in yourself to do it on your own. It's a, it's a completely different paradigm working for the man where people bring you the work that you have to do when you're, this is one of the things that I think we should talk about, which is that there's this thing that I call V shaped and T shaped skill sets. Mm -hmm. When you work for the man in a job, it's easy to have a T-shaped skill set, meaning you have very little knowledge in a whole range of things and very deep knowledge in one thing. It's like a T. When you become an entrepreneur, you cannot survive with a T-shaped skill set. You have to develop a V-shaped skill set, which is that you are going to have to develop skills in marketing, communication, project management, financial management, um, you know, relationship management, you're going to have to become the HR person, the legal person, the, you know, and so you have to develop a level of skill in a much broader range of things. Um, and that takes time. And it also takes, you know, uh, uh, surrounding yourself with people who are now doing what you're trying to do 
and you're learning from them, which is one of the reasons why I recommend very heavily that people, when they do go out on their own, that they start to get involved in some sort of a peer group, whether it's a paid mastermind community or a free uh, you know, mastermind group that they put uh, together on their own, because you have to have um, people in the room who are smarter than you, who are doing what you want to eventually be doing, who are going to motivate you by their presence and their actions and will hold you accountability accountable as you start to build your own thing. This is so beautiful. This is such a reasonable sound advice as far as the one year of savings and the plan. Let's say our story today was a weight loss transformation set of pictures, a before and after. And let's say instead of two pictures, there's three. There's you in the corporate world. There's you in the midst of maybe the first year of grind, which is usually the hardest in an entrepreneurial journey. And then there's you now. Tell us what was the emotions you would feel on a daily basis in the corporate world versus the emotions in the grind. What is your life like today in the grind and as a corporate executive? Yeah. I Well, when I was in the corporate world, my my life and my goals were to keep my clients happy and uh, to navigate the matrixed corporate environments that I was in. And that was, you know, working with a lot of people that I didn't like and uh, having to tiptoe around political situations that I would rather not be in and keeping clients happy who could be incredibly unreasonable and, you know, problematic. And for that, you get paid, right? You get a, a biweekly paycheck. Now, as an entrepreneur, uh, one of the things I said to myself when I started my own business was that I'm only going to work with people that I like, and I'm only going to work on projects that I think that I can really help people. And if a client's a jerk, I'm cutting them loose. And so that alone, I have been able to stay true to and makes my work life so much more pleasurable than it ever was when I was working for the man, because I decide who I want to be working with. And if they turn out to be problematic, I cut them loose. And I only work with people who I really feel like I can um, help. That's another thing that's incredibly motivating for me because I get, I am super passionate about what I do and I'm having more, I'm working just as hard, if not harder than I did in the corporate world, not making quite as much money, um, but I'm having more fun and, and I'm more passionate about what I'm doing than I ever have been in my entire life. And there's nothing, there's no amount of money that can, that can pay for that. I mean, and I'm also, I have a number of different kind of tiers and verticals of my business, right? So I help, I, I work with small to medium sized business and entrepreneurs to build their businesses through marketing design and strategy. I also have over time built a very large community of creative professionals who look to me for guidance in growing and improving in their own careers. So I have a brand strategy course. I have a, a paid mastermind group. I am building a, a, a larger you know, a community for creative professionals to do that. And I, so I have a number of different, I have a couple different avatars. I have client avatars and I also have people who come to me for coaching and guidance in their careers and, and in their age in building their own agencies. And that also makes my, 
my business super rich for me because I'm helping other people who are like me in early phases of my life come up in the world and be successful. And then I'm also using all the skills and knowledge and everything that I have accumulated to help other businesses, you know, build great successful businesses using the, the knowledge that I have. So that's another thing that I, that has made my, my current work situation just so much more uh, rewarding than it ever was. And I have this, you know, this whole content vertical too, where I'm, I'm, I'm codifying and publishing and putting out into the world, everything that I know that helps literally millions of people around the world. And, and that content is living forever. That's the amazing thing. It's like, and let me tell you a very quick story. This is a success story about content marketing. About five years ago, I did a video called what does a creative director do? Right. I got a couple of questions from people that like you were a creative director. What does creative directors actually do? Like I want to be one, but I don't know what they do. So I did this video. <clears throat> and so it was like, I don't know what nine minutes long. Right. And I just said, these are the things a creative director does. For some reason, it hit a chord. It got really popular, got about 100,000 views, right? And within about six months, if you search the word creative director on Google, Google always gives you a bunch of text stuff, but it always features three videos, right? Because they own YouTube, of course. So the first video that would show up would be my video. What does a creative director do? If you searched images for creative director, like you search creative director in Google images, my video thumbnail was the first result. And then it was followed by like 50 black and white portraits of super famous creative directors, right? But my video <laughs> but yours thumbnail, the head. Yeah. yeah, was the yeah. first result. And it was like that for like three years. And so that is insane, right? It's totally insane that my stupid little video would rank higher than Marty Neumeier's picture or any of these other super famous creative directors in Google, right? So the, the, almost the biggest reward of content development is SEO. Like doing podcasts or doing videos will do more for you in terms of SEO than anything else in the world. And even right now, five years later, that video is one of the three videos that comes up when you search creative director on Google. And that is something I did five. I want to say this again. I did that five years ago and it is still ranking on page one of Google. And it still only has like 150,000 or hundred thousand views. It's not like it's getting, it's not, it never went really viral. Right. So anyway, that's my point. I'll show up. I'll shut up. That was a, that was just that's a little thing that I wanted to show that that's the power of content marketing. Well, and just the credibility. And as, as people are making buying decisions, cause you're, you're in positioning. I I've been in phone sales for a long time before I got into real estate. So understanding that sales process, like, that is so helpful when you're trying to move a prospect into a buying decision, when you have this credibility that exists by third party sites, like, you know, Google is there's just so much more belief in people. Like, well, if Google says it, then, you know, it's gotta be true. You were in the corporate world and you were launching, I'm assuming some really large project projects mm -hmm. for, you know, these, these large companies and you've done a lot of coaching. So you got to see a lot of startups when, 
is a personal brand failing? Like when can someone say, hey, this brand is not serving me. I've been putting out all this content and not that they should stop content, but when should they be thinking about switching up their, either their avatar or their personal brand? Wow, that's a really good question. I, you know, when you were talking, I was like, it's never the wrong thing to do. Even when you're working for the man, developing a personal brand is something that you will always own. When you leave a company or get laid off, you lose a business card, right? It shows it, you're still on LinkedIn as having worked there, but you get none of the bennies, right, of having worked for these people. And they could care less about you once you walk out the door. I guarantee you that. <laughs> And developing a personal brand while you work for a company and developing a level of credibility and visibility will make you more valuable in the company that you work for. It used to be frowned upon, right? But now people who have personal brands are higher ticket employees and more desirable and more hireable than people who don't have them. So even if you wanted to stay in the corporate world your whole life, developing a personal brand is a very smart thing to do because that is the one thing that's going to survive any layoff, downturn, you know, um, consulting firm that comes in and decides to clean house. It's like, it's the one transportable thing you have in your career that you own. It's like a website or an email list. Like we don't own social media. If YouTube decided to go fake, think, talk about, I'm sorry, I'm studying, but think about Vine. Remember yeah. the social platform Vine? Oh, there were yeah, people sure that build million dollar brands on Vine. And when Vine went belly up overnight, click turns off. They lost a million dollar brand. Why? Because they didn't own the platform. You have to own your own real estate, right? I'm making an analogy here. You have to own your own digital real estate. What do you own? You own your own email list. No one can take that away from you. You own your own website. As long as you pay for your URL, you got the website. But what you don't own is social media. So wherever you post could go theoretically belly up overnight. The same thing is with a personal brand, right? If you build a level of visibility, credibility um, with a personal brand on social media, you become more desirable as an employee. And if you get laid off or the company gets required or something happens and there's downturn, like I tell you what, there's about 200,000 tech people right now who are figuring this thing out because they just got laid off. Anything can change. You have no idea what's going to happen. And the only thing that you own in terms of your career that's transportable and is your personal brand. So it is never a bad idea to build one. And if it is, if you are not experiencing the kind of benefits from it, you may need to pivot. I'm not going to say that, you know, it's not like people aren't successful in trying to enter a particular niche or establish themselves as a subject matter expert in a particular category. They may have to pivot or they might find that their avatar wants something else from them or their content is an exact, they Here's a great point, Matt, I want to make is that a lot of people come out of the gate and say, okay, I'm going to make videos on, on how to use Adobe Illustrator, some design platform thing. And they put out a bunch of videos and they don't get any traction, but then they put out this one weird video. That's like how to like do finger painting. And that gets like all sorts of interest. And you're like, wow, I'm a graphic designer. You've been doing all this stuff about graphic design, but actually what people really want to know about is finger painting. And so you go, okay, I'm going to do a couple more videos about finger painting, see what happens. And those get some interest too. And you're like, hmm, 
maybe my audience really wants to learn about finger painting. And so you start to pivot your content one way or another, or your perspective, or who you're talking to, or the themes of the content that are driving what you're, what you're talking about. Let me put this into an example of, let me try to put this into an example of a real estate person, right? So you're a real estate person and you're starting to, you're starting a YouTube channel and you're going around to properties, the properties that you show, and you're saying, okay, I'm going to do some, I'm going to do some YouTube videos on the things you need to look for when you look inside of a property, right? things that are great, things that you got to watch out for. And you, you're doing these tours of these properties and you're saying you want to watch for this kind of thing in a bathroom. You want to watch for this kind of thing in a porch or this sort of thing in a property or where a property sits in a city. And then you do a couple videos on, you know, how to, what kind of porch furniture is great for a mid-century modern house when you're staging it. Right. And people go, wow. Okay that was an awesome video and you get a million views and you're like, huh, maybe my audience wants to hear about staging and you start doing some more videos about staging. And then suddenly this concept that you had coming out of the gate that people wanted to know whether they needed to replace the refrigerator or whether they needed to retile the floor in the apartment they were trying to sell. They actually want to know how to stage it and make it look pretty. So people are attracted to it without changing the sink or the floor. Right. And so that's the sort of thing. And you have to be prepared for that because sometimes when you're doing content, what you come out of the gate, assuming is actually not what people end up wanting from you. Totally. That's a great, great way to wrap it. Tell people where can they get information from you? I know you've got a giveaway for them to be able to start learning about personal brand. What's the best way they can get to that? Yeah, I have this, uh, I have a tool called a personal brand wheel. And as you can tell from what we Matt and I were talking about through this whole thing, personal branding can be somewhat complex. So as you're building a personal brand, it's, I've developed a tool that's kind of based around, if you've ever worked with a professional coach, there's a thing called the life wheel. It's a visual kind of circle that you fill out and create kind of a, um, a, a visual map of your life to help figure out like what you want to do and what you're good at, et cetera. So I took this concept and I basically translated it into personal branding and I created a tool called a personal brand wheel. It's, it's divided into 12 different sections and there are a bunch of questions that you get led through to help kind of map out where you are in your personal brand building journey, what you need to, what you're doing great on, what you need help on, what you maybe forgot about entirely. And so it's a tool that you can download for free. It's a PDF. It's about six pages, totally palatable. And if you go to philipvandusen.com, I'm sure Matt will put the link in the description of the podcast and philipvandusen.com slash PBW for personal brand wheel philipvandusen.com slash PBW. You can download this for free. And, um, and if you use it, shoot me an email. My email's in there. Um, let me know what you think. I'd love to know if it's been helpful to you or if there's something that I put in that I missed that I should put in there. Um, but a lot of people it's, you know, been downloaded a hundred thousand times and a lot of people have found a real great value in it. Incredible. And I found a lot of great value in this conversation that some of the key highlights for me were just done is better than perfect. And hearing that from a brand expert gives me comfort because we've been doing a lot. We haven't been perfect. 
So guys, for those of you out there listening, take action, write one thing down that you learn, whether it's making the leap from your job, whether it's putting together a savings plan, it's the branding elements, maybe the action is going and downloading this guide that can help you get on your personal branding journey. But either way, take action, share it with somebody you know, so they can hold you accountable. Because freedom's acquired one action at a time. And before you know it, guys, you will be living a life in freedom. So thank you for tuning in and we'll catch you on the next episode.